Have you ever wondered how the separate threads of your life fit in to one big picture? How the individual moments of challenge and triumph connect to one another to form the great meaning of your life? I am Anna Mullins, your Life Story Editor, and I'm convinced that making sense of our deepest pain can help us understand our deepest purpose. In my speaker training program and on this podcast, I help people weave together those confusing, often shameful pieces of their past, revealing the life-changing lessons that create their profound new story. Welcome to Unapologetic Stories, where secrets are out and the truth is in. storytellers we have a phenomenal guest on this week and I will tell you something magical that just happened we just realized that we are actually recording this though it won't be put out for a while we are recording this at 11 11 on the 11th in 2021 I guess there's a, a one at the end of that so we have some magic that's joining us today um, with my phenomenal guest. I am absolutely beyond thrilled to welcome her to the Unapologetic Stories podcast. I have been following her for quite some time online, um, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about her now. She is a mother, a photographer, a writer, a creator, and a beautiful storyteller, and she is also living with a broken heart. She is a bereaved mother who writes in her trademark outspoken way about the true nature of living with loss. She is also, as I mentioned, a family photographer, and she spends many days a year capturing memories for other families, a gift that she happily gives knowing how meaningful ordinary moments truly are. I'm so, so excited to have this conversation today. With all of that alone and so much more that I've had the privilege to learn about recently, I can tell you this. You are in for a treat. She has stories. She has depth. She has humor. She has honesty. She has wisdom and a greater purpose that I am truly inspired by. One that weaves sorrow into the joyful story that her family continues to build each and every day. So I'm going to introduce you to her now. This beautiful woman that I'm talking about is Katie Jameson. Katie, welcome to Unapologetic Stories. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It is such an honor for me to be here. I am thrilled to have you. And we actually have a mutual friend, which is how we got connected and yes. you're sitting across from me right now and why I'm not just fangirling online about your beautiful <laughs> storytelling. <laughs> our friend, our mutual friend, Erin, who's done PR for me for many years. And I, I know you know from the past as well. So I sure do. Gosh, I, six degrees of separation always, right? Yeah, the um, world is wild. The world is wild, yes, but thank God you are finally here. I'm so happy to have this conversation, and I'm happy to talk about your work first and foremost um, and where your life is headed. I know that you have big plans on the rise. I'm following along here, but let's start with what brought you to your platform and to the messages that you'll be sharing with us today as well. What actually brought you to this journey of storytelling? What a great first question. Um, well, I think what brought me to the platform that I use and the voice that I have is my initial entrance into motherhood. Uh, 
my first son, Lachlan, uh, was born with a very rare genetic mutation that was not compatible with life. And after 22 days, uh, we said a very, very hard goodbye and he passed away. Mm. It was uh, shocking to say the least way to enter motherhood. Um, It's something that I still grapple with every day and I I will for the rest of my life. And I think at the root of it, how absolutely lost and knocked off balance I was Mm. after holding my son while he passed away. Living as a bereaved mother is something that is completely unfathomable, sometimes even for the person who's living it. Mm. And so storytelling now has become a way for me to connect back to the person that I have grown into through all these years, knowing that there's a lot of women and parents out there who most likely are feeling some of the feelings that I felt going through their own bereaved journey. And it feels really important for me to provide a space where I can share honest and raw and truthful emotions that relate to grief. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. I know that's not an easy story to kick off with. And yeah. Even as honest and open as you are online, it's never an easy thing to share. So I appreciate you bringing that forward right away for us so that we have an understanding of your journey and where it began. And I, I, I kind of, my heart sank, I have to say, when you say it's unfathomable, obviously, for us to imagine but also unfathomable to move through because from somebody looking in from the outside, we're going, wow, look at this strength. Look at this resilience. How are you possibly doing it? And I guess your honest answer is like, I have no idea. I think my honest answer is I'm not truthfully. I'm not uh, moving through anything with strength or grace, specifically not in the early acute stages of grief. I would say the first year after losing Lachlan, there was nothing graceful about my day or how I moved or what I said or how I thought or the emotions that I felt. Um, Acute grief is its whole other podcast. It's something that is extremely difficult to explain and even more difficult to relate to. It's the reason that people feel very unsupported right after a loss because what they're going through is so grandiose. It's so impossible, really. Unfathomable. It's unfathomable that they can't explain it and people can't relate to it. Um, A big part of why I share the sort of, a big part of the reason I share in a vulnerable way is knowing that there aren't very many words put to this very unknowing emotion that is acute grief. And I try my best to bring awareness to what that might look like. Definitely for people who are grieving, but I think I've realized now that the words that I write are more for people on the outside to understand what a loved one might be going through, knowing that they can come to my platform and say, my sister is so angry and I don't know why. And they can read some of my words and say, oh, that's why. So it's just a, 
I feel like I've started to create a place where there is support for people who are supporting loved ones going through grief. Mm. Not only is that critically important, my, the words that come to mind is that feels so deeply important. It feels so deeply important to the world, to healing, to communities and to families. I think for me, I felt very unsupported when Lachlan passed away and when my dad passed away. And that's not a reflection of the people in my life. That's not a reflection of how much people love me or how much they wanted to support me. I think that's a reflection of how misunderstood grief is, how hard it is to wrap your arms around. It's very sharp. It's very dangerous to get close to you and not a lot of people do. And I continuously feel very, very strong about providing a place for people to come to, to feel seen. Oh, and that is the person moving through the sharpness. Yeah. That person yeah. needs to feel seen. I wholeheartedly agree. And thank you for doing this work, first of all. Thank you. Uh, not certainly not easy. I can, I can see it actually in you as you're talking about it too. It's like, you're radiating the importance of this in such a way with such passion. It's like, this is a conversation that is critical because, and critical because we'll fill in the blank here, but critical because we need to keep going. Yeah. We need to keep going. We have to keep moving through the sharpness, through the acute phase, as you say, and your journey has been one of storytelling. Tell us a little bit about how storytelling has really helped or has been important to your own healing, I guess is the right word here. Absolutely. I feel like my storytelling has changed over time, which I mean, of course it has because I've changed over time and, and my grief has changed over time. The last year specifically, I feel like my writing is different and the way that I'm reflecting on my grief is different. Um, most recently, I've been really trying my best to write about really simple moments. Um, I'm trying to write about the ones that aren't shiny or powerful or big. I try to look for the really mundane and ordinary and I try to find my grief there. I try to find where my grief sits in those moments. How interesting. Yeah, because I find those are the most relatable moments. Those are the moments where someone can come and say, yes, that's me. She waded through all of this murk and she found me. Oh. And somebody can come to my space and they can feel so much less alone with it because I'm not talking about some huge significance of a very important day. I'm talking about buying a candle in a grocery store mm. and why that ruined me for a day. Ugh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you this. Don't ever be sorry um, for sharing this. I think I, I already feel in the minutes that we've had together, I feel like a shift in my own level of consciousness about grief. So I know that this conversation is, I mean, it will move people. I think it already has. Uh, can you tell us about that moment with the candle? Absolutely. I was in the grocery store, um, just getting groceries for my kids' lunches. And I walked down an aisle that I walked down all the time, but instead I actually saw what was in the aisle that day. And it was 
balloons and paper cups and streamers and napkins with little unicorns and Paw Patrol for, you know, kids of all different ages to reflect what they love at that specific time in their life. And I went down the aisle and I knew Lachlan's birthday is coming up soon. And I was thinking to myself, I'll get him a candle. And so I picked up a candle and in that moment, I weighed the options. I thought myself through, okay, if I put this in my basket and the person at the checkout says, oh, it's someone's birthday, someone's turning seven, that feels really, really big. How will I react? Will I die inside? Will I just smile and say, yep, that's right. These are things that as a bereaved parent, you have to work yourself through to weigh the options of who the grenade blows up in front of. Right. Does it blow up with me by swallowing it and not saying anything? Or does it blow up with the other person who unknowingly made a comment? And then you say, well, actually it's for my son who passed away seven years ago. Right. So I had it, I took it. The cashier inevitably said nothing about it. And I got in my car and I got so angry. I was so angry. I drove home angry. My son was in the backseat. I was angry with him. I got home. My husband was making dinner. I was angry with him. And I think he's seen enough of these moments that he flagged it and he said, what's going on here? And I just pulled the seven out of the grocery bag and I said, I bought this today. And I just started crying. And he said, ah, I get it. And it was just a moment where I felt really seen. I realized that what I had feared wasn't putting the seven on the belt and having the cashier say something, what I feared happened. And it was that she didn't notice and she didn't say anything. And I had desperately wanted her to ask me because I wanted to say it was my son's birthday. Yeah. Cause it was. <laughs> Cause it was. Yeah. There are, oh, sorry. No, please. there are just going to say there are lots of things that are taken away from you as a bereaved parent. Mm. And you don't realize that some of the most important things are those really, really ordinary mundane moments. Like somebody saying, Oh, it looks like a birthday's coming up. Because for me, unless I say it, unless I share it, people won't remember because he's not here. Mm, right. And what I am absorbing here, and I'm trying to kind of make space for this story as well without inserting any of my own assumptions, is that this work that you're doing through story and through deliberately talking about what you would define as mundane moments is actually reframing mundane moments like a grocery store aisle and a birthday candle as significant moments that ignite memories of joy. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. What a gift. What a gift of a, of a storytelling journey. And I mean, I have lots of storytellers that come to me all the time and are saying, you know, what if I don't have a big moment to tell? What if I don't have a big 
a big story to share. And I think, what if you make the little moments the big moments? What if we find the wisdom and the joy and the learnings in those small moments? And that's exactly what you're doing. I think that's absolutely true. I had a real writer's block for quite a long time. Part of that could be that I had three really little kids at home. Of course. Um, <laughs> you know, as, yes. as all moms will know, you don't have much time to sit down and write. Um, but I had a shift happen where my kids went to school in September and I got some time. And I was saying to a friend the other day that um, grief does take time. Like you need to give your grief some time to soften at the edges. It'll never go away, but it will soften. But I was saying to my friend the other day that what my grief needed wasn't necessarily years of time. It needed the space of time. I needed to be able to sit down without the chaos in the background, which I love. I love that I have children at home, but I needed that space to sit down to find my reframed perspective of what I've gone through. Yeah. And when I sort of sat with it for a while, when my kids started going back to school, I had a conversation with another writer and I just said, I just, I can't write. I don't know what it is. I have words in me. I have stories in me. I want to help. I want to, I mean, I could list off six different things that I want to write, but I just can't do it. And she was so wonderful and gentle with me. She said, just write one story and then write another story. Yeah. And they don't have to connect. There doesn't have to be a bridge between them eventually you'll write so many stories that the bridge will just appear. Mm. And it just helped me so much. I just stopped focusing on the big picture of what my grief was and what my grief meant to me and how my grief has changed me. And I narrowed my vision down onto small, tiny moments. Mm. And I, I just pulled out where my grief was hidden in those. And my writing has just sort of started flowing out of me. I've been writing so much the last couple of months. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think, I mean, a blessing to have actual space sometimes. And- yes, like let's let's not blur the lines here. Like it <laughs> happened magically. There are, there are mothers who will hear this and be like, well, sh- you know, I don't have that space. And it's true, you don't have that space and I didn't have it for a long time. And, you know, maybe that you have to wait a little bit longer. Um, I definitely will not hide the fact that I am very privileged that my kids have gone to school this year. Yeah. And how many other children do you have that you have in your mind? I have my twins. My twins are five and they just started kindergarten, Wally and Kenzie. And then my son Woodford, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) And my son Woodford, who is three. My goodness. So yeah, so we do three and five and, and five. (laughs) three and five and five five times two five times two um yeah that's busy enough and I think what's so interesting and what's what is kind of coming to mind here as well is we move through the stages of our journey with having space as mothers to even be able to focus on something else that we're doing outside of washing and laundry and all of those you know I'm putting in air quotes, the mundane, ordinary things that happen in our journey. Yes. Yes. Um, and in much the same way that we just honor and respect the phases of even something like grief, 
or something like a profound moment, right? We just have these moments in time where we just have to sit with who we are and what we are in that moment and allow the lessons to be whatever they are. They don't even need to be lessons. They just need to be, as you have so beautifully edited and kind of reframed for us, uh, it's life. Yeah, I think what you just said is really important. They don't have to be lessons. No. We don't have to pull lessons out of every moment. That's right. And if someone's listening to this and is feeling discouraged because they haven't found deeper meaning or a lesson through their grief, they don't have to. That's mm-hmm. that's not for everybody, and that's not on any time frame. Yeah. Um, if I was listening to myself talking right now, even three years ago, I would probably turn the podcast off and be like, "I'm not there yet," because I was really deep set in my grief. And I thought that the only way that I could move through my day was to clench it. I, I almost strangled it. I needed it to be so close. I was mothering my grief. I wanted it for me and me alone. Um, and I just think it's really important that if somebody is listening and thinking, I can't pull meaning out of any of this. Well, I didn't pull meaning out of any of it for a very long time. And the stories that I'm telling, the stories that I write now are moments that I'm zeroing in on from years ago. They're not moments that I'm having right now. They're moments that I can reflect back on and say, oh, wow, look what that meant. And I couldn't see it. I think it is so critically important to give people permission, just to give people permission to feel the entire spectrum of humanness, of human experience, whether that is sharp or whether that is softer at times or whether that is exploring grief through mundane moments or exploring a a major lesson. It's like the ability to actually reframe all of this, remove some set of external expectation that we have to show up in any way for anyone at any given time. I think that's pretty big. I mean, that is, that's a big lesson, whether we wanted one or not, but yes, absolutely. I used to, um, I would follow a lot of people on Instagram who talk about grief because that's what you do. You go and you search out words when you don't have the words to say for yourself, you search out for someone and hopefully see them reflected back at you. Mm-hmm. And I would follow a lot of people going through grief. And this, this is like a, a real truthful moment for anybody who needs this. I would sit on my phone and I would judge big time. I would say, you look too happy. You look too sad. You're being too loud. You're not saying enough. And I can recognize now that in that, in that space and time, I was so angry. I was so angry about my loss and what had been taken from me. And I didn't have the words to express it. And in that time when I was searching out and I was being judgmental, I wasn't writing. I wasn't able to have anything flow out of me because the only thing that was flowing out of me was disappointment and jealousy and anger. But if I had not settled deep into that, into those really hard to sit with emotions, I don't think I would have the perspective that I do today. Hmm. I think I really, really needed to sift through some really dark days 
so that I could stand up and say, I've done some really hard work and the growth within me is really hard earned. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who is still in the anger, in the frustration, in that space where they're sitting with it and maybe they don't want to sit with it and they don't know how to move through it and are kind of seeking some light, some way through, some crack to open and let them vent from this? That's so tough. I mean, all we can work off is our own experience, right? Um, The perspective that I have is that I needed somebody to sit down in the dirt with me and not lead me out of it, Mm. but say, it's okay to be here as long as you need to. And when you are ready, I will help you out. That's what I needed personally. Mm. I felt like I needed to control aspects of my grief. That's, that's not true. I felt like I needed to control all of my grief Mm. because through Lachlan's death, I had control over nothing. So I really felt like my work and my timeline of moving through my grief needed to be all on me. I needed to own all of that because I wanted to have the control of stepping up a little bit higher when I was ready to and having the permission from myself to step back down when I needed to. So that's tough because somebody listening to this might be like, well, that didn't help. Or somebody who's supporting someone going through grief will be like, well, that sounds like it's going to take a really long time. Right. Because it does, because grief is so personal and everybody needs something so different. Yeah. And I think you've said something so beautiful here too, which is like, and it's just kind of opened my eyes again in a bigger way. You lost such control through your through the actual event that you needed to regain control through your own grieving journey and allow people or or people around you, you wanted them to allow you the space to do it your own way. Yeah, I did. I wanted to, I wanted to do it my own way with knowing that they were on the the perimeter ready to grab my hand when I needed it. And that's a really, I have the recognition now that I asked a lot of the people that were around me. Um, not, a, not all of them stayed. And, and I can see why, because that's a pretty big ask to ask people to let you turn into something new. Because there's no possibility that I could be who I was before Lachlan passed away. I'm not that person anymore. So it's a big ask to have people stand to the side and watch you muddle through pain and say, just let me do it. Please don't go anywhere. And please be ready and open to accept me for whoever I am when I step out of this. Oh, and let me turn into something new. Mm-hmm. Allow me the freedom to turn into something new. In yeah. a way, almost just jump on this grieving journey with me. You're going to have to grieve the loss of me the way I'm grieving the loss of me. Absolutely. Yeah. and bring a lasagna or don't bring a lasagna so many people bring lasagna (laughs) 
<laughs> I say this in jest and, and certainly um, Katie and I have talked about this, but we, we wanted to sort of talk about this in, in a lighter way as well. You had started some writing. Yes. A while this, back. And this and is what I'm talking about. I had a writer's it. blog. You had the writer's block. You couldn't get it out. But in a way, it was like the message you wanted to say is like, please don't bring lasagna. Please don't <laughs> please bring do. Please do. Please, please do, do all the other things before you bring lasagna. <laughs> allow me to be a new person. Please grieve along with me. Please wait while I regain control over my own grief. Uh, don't try and shovel lasagna under the door. Yeah. And force me to be the lasagna eating, grieving yeah. mother. Or, yeah. And I think where that came from, when my dad passed away, dear god my mom got a lot of lasagnas <laughs> like can we talk about the number of lasagnas that were in her freezer and I get it people want to do something they just they just want to show up and do something and and making something with your hands and everyone needs to eat these all make sense what I'm trying to bring awareness to is that there is just so many other things that you could do to show up that yes might be harder but yes, will leave a longer lasting impact. Mm, yeah. Okay. Can we talk about some of those things? Absolutely. I have this uh, on my Instagram account. I have these uh, grief guides that I made. And the first one that I ever made was simple ways for helping people going through grief. And I tried to make it like really catchy, you know, and simple. <laughs> Catchy and simple. Um, but I, I came up with like a few things. One of them is reach out on repeat. Um, so reach out on repeat means keep reaching out if and when, and I'll emphasize the when mm -hmm. your friend does not respond back to you because your friend just isn't going to respond back to you. But your friend is reading those notes and your friend is intaking those texts and those voicemails and those emails, and they're storing them away for the time when they're able to open themselves up to it. Hmm. It's really important for people to understand that when you're reaching out to somebody who has just gone through a loss, if they are not getting back to you, it's not because they do not appreciate your support. It is because they absolutely do not have the capacity to take it on. Yeah. I stockpiled. I would stockpile texts and I would read them like weeks months later, it took me months to get back to friends who had reached out to me, but I needed that space. I was doing everything I could to breathe. I didn't have the ability to send an email. Can't even imagine. Yeah. The other one that I have is remember to remember. Um, so this is like, remember the important days, but also Remember that the holidays are super hard. Remember that back to school is probably a heartbreaking time. This is like the idea that you put a reminder in your phone throughout your calendar year to check in with your friend on these specific dates and then put a reminder on your phone for some random Tuesday that doesn't mean anything and check in with them on that day too. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because we have this dialogue all the time too around like people that are, I'm going to say, circling around the grieving person that want to help the lasagna makers. Uh, what we're often trying to do, I think, is say, we don't, we think we don't really want to remind you of it, 
as if in some way you've forgotten. Yeah. And our text or our message or our email or our call on the birthday or on the holiday is going to reignite all of those old grief feelings. And we're kind of terrified to do that. And your answer really is like, uh, do you think I would have forgotten? It's there yeah. anyway. It's yeah. there anyway. Yeah. I think at the root of that, you're absolutely right. That's, that is what everybody on the perimeter is feeling. And I think at the root of that, they are so afraid of getting it wrong. And they're so afraid of stepping into a moment that is beyond uncomfortable. But what they aren't recognizing is that by being brave enough to bridge that gap between the person who is grieving and can't reach out for help and the gap to the other side where they just don't quite understand what's going on, they are safely allowing themselves back into the circle of trust of that person who is grieving. Uh, Whether or not that person accepts it right away or not, by stepping into the very uncomfortable and awkward moment of checking in or asking a deeper question or going in and cleaning their kitchen instead of just leaving flowers on the porch, they're showing that person who's grieving that they are there and ready to support them through something really, really, really hard. Yeah. And again, leaving it up to you to be in control. Yeah. Leaving it up to the griever. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, I think that's a really, really important takeaway here too, is as, as people trying to be helpers, you know, I don't love that word anyway, but people trying to be helpers and trying to help, it really is about uh, detaching from any outcome or expectation and just being in support, in the support yeah. space. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and in the memory space. Oh, well, speaking of that, I have uh, another one I always say is, to um, surprise them with a memory. Something my mom has done for me in the past with Lachlan is she'll go through her phone and find photos that she took that I've never seen and she'll text them to me. So a couple months ago, I got six photos of Lachlan that I've never seen before. And that's six and a half years after he passed away. Wow. And it's such a gift. I always say, if you have a photo on your phone, a video, a print in your house. If there's something that the person who is grieving possibly maybe hasn't seen before, wait a few months, wait a little bit of time, and then send it over and just say, I was thinking of you. I was thinking of this loved one that we've lost. Here's a memory. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And that is what I think you do so beautifully as well through your work, whether it's intended or not, is finding the mundane moments, finding the grief in them, but then also somehow finding the joy in the memories and being able to weave those two really big emotions together is not an easy task, I would imagine. And this is, I'm going to read a quote that is, that I kind of found through your work. And it goes like this, sometimes All we need is a moment to be seen and commiserated, commiserated with before we jump up and make the best of it. Yeah. That's the space. That's the kind of permission. That's the allowing. And then at some point, we're not asking anybody, I think, to make the best of anything, but it's about moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, when I say make the best of it, you're right. I'm saying that in all sense of the word, a bereaved parent 
who has gotten up and made coffee and fed themselves something, they're making the best of it. Yeah. And the, the, I think the key point here is like making, there's something about creation and creating something, I guess, new. You're already new. You're creating a new version of yourself. You're creating new moments every day. You're creating new ways to tell this story. You also personally have actually created gifts. I have. Grieving gifts. So this grief and- Who would have thought? (laughs) Who would have thunk it at the time, right? As you ate all of your lasagnas, you sat there. (laughs) (laughs) Began to make actual grieving gifts. Tell us about the grieving gifts. I am so, I love them. These were on my heart for a while before I actually put them into play. Um, I think what inspired these was the year after I lost Lachlan. Mm. I, part of my sadness and a lot of my anger came from the knowledge that I was walking around without anyone knowing that I was a mother. I didn't have a baby. I didn't have a stroller. I wasn't buying diapers. I wasn't buying formula. There was nothing that society would deem as a label for motherhood about me. And after I had the kids, after I had the twins, um, people would stop me all the time and say, twins, oh, twins, oh my gosh, how adorable. And it would make me so happy. It was everything I had longed for, was for someone to stop and recognize that I was a mom. And a couple years ago, I think maybe two years ago, I decided that I wanted to make enamel pins for anybody to wear. They're for grieving hearts, but really they're for anybody grieving at the loss of anything, really. A way for somebody to show that they have a broken heart without having to say anything at all. Because it wasn't like I wanted to walk into a grocery store and say, I'm a bereaved mother, here I am. But I did want to move very gently through my day and have the opportunity for people to recognize that I needed to be treated with grace. I just had a full, you can't see me as you're listening to this podcast, but I just had to like clutch my own heart there. I had a full body kind of goosebumps as you said that. Um, I'm not even sure why yet. I think something about just the awareness of allowing that grief to live on the outside of your body. I think so. And it's, they're very, I I love them. I worked with a really talented woman here in Vancouver who uh, helped me with the graphics. They're so beautiful. They're, they're small. They are colorful and bright. I didn't want them to be dark. I wanted them to reflect, you know, bright colors and emotions. And they're, the sayings on them are all reflections of my different stages of grief. And the newest one that I just released a couple of weeks ago says grief and joy can live together. And I never would have thought in a million years that I would make a pin that says that because I never felt it. But in the last year, I've really shifted into allowing myself to be okay with feeling happy again. I just, I could not love this more truly. I'm having like visceral reactions here. Um, and I'm, I'm actually envisioning somebody who's moving through the process of grief 
and seeing the progression even and the journey of the pins themselves in a tangible form that they are being offered this pathway, these stepping stones of hope that at one point it might not have felt like joy. And maybe at some point it will. It's like the gift of hope even of being able to wear this on the outside of your body to say, first and foremost, you are not alone. Yeah. We see you, we feel you, we're with you, and we will make space for your number seven candle. My, my deepest wish is that through my writing and through the platform that I use, that a parent can come and find a path that leads from where they are to maybe where they think they can't get to. And it's, it's not outlined like a, like a landing strip for a, for an airplane. It's not like, here you go, here's the point from A to B, but through my writing, they might see that it's a very tangled web, but it's possible. It's possible. And on one given day, you might wear all five pins. I certainly have. (laughs) I have gone to pick up my kids with my deep and grief pin and my grief and joy can live together. And it's probably confusing. (laughs) (laughs) The lasagna makers don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) What is up with this girl? (laughs) But it's true. There's no, I, there is no clear path of grief. And as much as I can talk about being able to find some happiness in my, in my grief, there are certainly days where I have to sit down and step right back to square one. I just have to. Yeah. It's not linear. As you say, it's not, it's not a airplane landing where you just eventually turn off the engine and everything's done. Yeah. This is a, a journey of literally life. It's a journey of life. It's a journey of being here and moving through the full expression of being human. Yeah. The full expression. Uh, one of those expressions, of course, through your beautiful children, how do they help you in their own joy and innocence kind of oh, bring, bring back that light? These kids of mine. Those kids. I will very openly say that they break me and they heal me all at the same time. Motherhood is hard. Oh, yeah. It's hard for, for anybody. Um, motherhood after loss is confusing. It is confusing. There's a lot of emotions that you can't reckon with and you're not sure why they're happening until maybe the next week and you're like oh I actually that was an anniversary of this last week and I maybe didn't know it but at the time my heart was breaking and so I yelled at my kids a little bit more than usual um I have this very strong memory that I go back to all the time uh from counseling when we were in counseling at Connect Place a few months after Lachlan passed away. And there was a parent who uh, had just lost their eight-year-old. And they were talking about all of the toys that were in the house that she wasn't sure she wanted to clean up. They were still all over the floor. I think their child had passed away several months before. And there was toys everywhere. There was a toothbrush on the counter. Her hairbrush was still in the drawer. And she was like, I just, I don't think I can bring myself to clean up these memories. And at the time I had lost Lachlan and all I could feel was immense jealousy that she had any of those memories because I didn't get any of that. 
And now I have such perspective as I walk around my house. Yes, my house is very messy. (laughs) But as I walk around and I see a little piece of Lego sitting on top of my dresser, or I step on a train in the kitchen, or I trip over Kenzie's doll on the stairs, I can recognize in an instant that I am very lucky that I have those things in my house and on the floor and on the counter. I'm not saying that I take away how hard motherhood is. I'm not, I'm not saying that I, I feel that every moment. I certainly don't. There's times where I absolutely yell and ask them to pick up their toys, but of course. I have the perspective now to know that these little things around my house mean that I'm a very lucky person who is able to have kids after loss. Yeah. And it represents, I mean, my, my six-year-old is, we call between my husband and I were like, is, has there ever been a messier child on the planet? Like, I don't know that I've ever met anyone who can make a mess faster uh, <laughs> and with more things in more places than this child. Um, and I will look at her messes after the fact and think, what a dream it is that she had just this big creative moment where she just exploded. And don't get me wrong. I'm like you, I go through my moments where I'm like, clean this mess. And I'm yeah. and hollering at them. Like, I can't live like this anymore. This is crazy. Like I, you know, I'm wading through paper and art and toys and all of that. But um, I love that the message here that is coming through for me is what a dream it is to have a child with energy to move a piece of paper around and put it in the wrong spot. Yes. What a beautiful reframe that is for not just me, but I hope everybody listening that these items mean something. They mean that you are living life. Yeah. Yeah. Katie, I am just like, I'm beyond, I'm, you're, you're so (laughs) profound. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, And I say that in the sense of you're profound in your honesty. You are profound in your uh, ability to actually tell story in a way that is just true. It's just, again, the ordinary, it's the mundane. And yet it's exactly, it is exactly what the world needs. It's exactly, I think what grieving people need. It's exactly what people in the perimeter around grieving people need to hear. It is truly such a beautiful message. And, you know, we've made fun of lasagnas a few times today. Even if, I mean, we, um, we say it obviously with love and jest. We love so much love. I'll write that book and we'll, we'll shove our words down our throat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because I'm sure I've made lasagnas for people in the past. And I've made lasagnas for people. Lasagnas. This is the point is that even somebody who's been through grief has no idea how to support somebody going through grief. This is why we have to talk about it. It's why we have to talk about it constantly. And I think too, it's this um, detachment from as I think our human nature is like, I need to do a thing, a thing I can touch, a thing I can feel, a thing I can smell and bake and put in the oven and carry over. And ultimately what we're looking to do is like, we need to access such a deeper emotional thing, which is the ability to detach from our own needs to allow somebody else to have a need. Yeah. In that moment. It's like, yeah. there is no need to feel, I don't need to feel anything right now. I actually need to be away from my own expectations or my own need to fulfill anything in this moment and to just stand there and allow somebody else's needs to be whatever they are, any expression of that. 
Yeah. No matter how it looks and how sharp it might be. Yeah. I think a really good point here is that if somebody is trying to support somebody going through tremendous loss, the thing that is needed is for the adjustment of expectation. I think you don't need to let your expectations go, but you need to adjust them to a plane that you probably can't comprehend, which sounds absolutely impossible, but we need to adjust our expectations of people going through grief that they will act in any way that we expect them to. And that includes what we assume grief is of crying and yelling and, you know, deep sorrow. Maybe you're supporting somebody who comes across as absolutely fine. And that can also be confusing. We just need to adjust what our expectations are for people who are going through grief and let them dictate the support that they need. Even what I'm suggesting today, that might not work for everybody. You know, I can only go off of my only my own experience, my own perspective. But I think it's really important to finally just let go and adjust and let people who are in grief dictate the support that they can receive through grief. Yeah. And truly, truly, it's like what I'm kind of hearing as this bigger picture here is we all have to shift and change as a collective. When something happens to one of us, we all have to shift and change along with that grief. We are, as you say, we are being reintroduced to our friends. We are being reintroduced to our family. We also have to rise as people in the perimeter, rise and be willing to be reintroduced to versions of our own definition of helping. Absolutely. And reframe that and really like, put something new out in the world again create something new as you're doing right is this creation that can hopefully bring us to this intersection where grief and joy can live together but also grief and anger which arguably maybe are the same thing but that frustration and joy and that ordinary and profound can kind of live at an intersection as well and that we're really you know we're just taking away all expectations of what we need what we want. Absolutely. There is no greater juxtaposition than that of grief. Than that of grief. Yeah. I love that. Um, where can we find you online? Where can we find your grieving gifts? You can find my grieving gifts at shop.katiejameson.ca. Um, I have a little online store and you can also access any of the things that I've written through my Instagram account, uh, which is (laughs) a funny, my handle is Katie underscore underscore Jameson because my name was taken. (laughs) And you have twins. So you have to have two. (laughs) Obviously. Uh, But you can access any of the things that I've written through there. It it links directly to uh, my blog and my website where I do all of my writing. What is next? What's next for Katie Jameson? Katie Jameson is attempting to survive 2021. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've started, as I said, I've started doing a lot of writing. I hope what is next for me is compiling the stories that I tell into something that resembles support in a book form. 
I'll keep it super vague like that because <laughs> I honestly, I feel like, I, yeah, I feel like I'm writing three different things right now. Um, which, you know, maybe it'll turn out to be one big thing. I've kind of let go of the expectation for myself that I need to sit down and write a specific thing. I'm just writing. I'm just letting it sort of flow out of me. And, you know, hopefully I'm telling you soon that I have some sort of semblance of a book. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But the, the I mean, truly, your Instagram is so beautiful. And this is why I'm such a fan of yours anyway. But I think the goal is, and and correct me if I'm kind of off track here, but it feels like the goal is to not leave people alone, is to be seen in such a big way, whether it's a pin or whether it's a story in a book or whether it's on Instagram. It's like the goal here, the ultimate umbrella here, is like, can we just all be a little closer to one another through the avenue of truth? I think that's right. I think at the root of it all, I am trying to be as inclusive as possible of all types of grief. I'm continuously trying to be very careful of the way that I speak about grief, knowing where I came from and knowing where I'm at. Um, I don't want to leave anyone out. I don't want to leave out support for any one type of griever. So I think at the root of it all, I'm trying to make my spell my space as inclusive and accessible as possible right. to people with all kinds of broken hearts. Hmm. And I think you're doing that fantastically well by the Thank way you. you're doing it beautifully because I mean I have my own experience with grief but nothing as profound as your personal story and I even feel called into your conversations in that way because I do think it feels and I think that the crux of this is that it's just you this is my journey with grief and I'm exploring the depth of it in so many ways, the vulnerability that you display, but you're allowing us to kind of go to all of those different places with you and experience again, I know we've said this a few times today, but the full expression of what this feels like, not just what we think other people may feel comfortable hearing about. Absolutely. I think that's very true. Yeah. It's in that truth, right? It's in that truth that you, that people do feel called in. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah. I found it really interesting. Like when you and I talked that I would first, if I had to say, how would I describe Katie? I was like, well, she's honest. She's real. There's like no bullshit here. Like this conversation that we're going to record. And this is obviously in our lead up that we're going to record is going to be fantastic. Um, but also there was this dichotomy that was building. It was the ability to be both broken and full shattered and rebuilding weeping and smiling all at the same time. And I'm borrowing words from your writing there that it is really just this constant, I don't even want to use the term battle. It's a dichotomy. It's just the, the constant full expression. And you've expressed before as well to me that it's really strange for you to be talking about grief or providing any kind of quote unquote wisdom around it. Why is that? Do you think? Yeah, it, it does feel strange, to be honest, because I feel such a gambit of emotions myself as I go through it. I feel so lost within my journey through grief that it doesn't feel like I have any answers. But I think maybe what I'm starting to understand is that by offering perspective mm -hmm. of the stages that I've been through or 
the days that I've had, that in itself is, has become relatable to other people on really all paths of, of the journey. You know, people who are at the start of their grief journey, people who are years ahead of me in their grief journey. I think possibly it's just hearing somebody speak so truthfully about what this really is and what grief really looks like that is resonating with people. And I feel surprised by it because I never would have imagined that just speaking truthfully would have made an impact on so many people. Yeah. And I think that maybe is the biggest lesson here. It's like, there is no mountain to climb and then you get to the top and somehow you have all of the answers and you know everything and you can speak to every topic. Because as we know with any human journey, it's like there is going to be another mountain at some point. And the more that we can just be in the moment and be expressing that moment as it shows up, as you said, like there's this ability to just say, here's my perspective at this point in time. And perspective and the lens seeing into your life is the learning. That is the gift. Oh gosh, thank you. <laughs> and it is also, it is such a beautiful parallel to the actual gift of like your grieving pins. It's like just to show up and say, this is where I'm at now. And this is exactly the phase I'm in now. Yes. I specifically m- made a couple of the grieving gifts to direct people to the very beginning of grief. One of my cars says, I don't know what to say, but I really want to try, which is just, that's my way of offering you the olive branch Mm -hmm. to offer to your loved one who's grieving because you don't know what to say. None of us do not at the very start. And then I have other gifts that are for other stages of your grieving process. Um, And I think it's, they're all really reflective of this idea that we can be all of it. We can be absolutely on our knees with pain. And at the same time, we're running through a field with our kids full of joy. Mm. It doesn't make sense. And I think probably because it doesn't make sense, people can't see it. People can't see that it's coming. I certainly didn't see that it was coming. Having both sorrow and joy is possibly one of the most confusing things I've ever had to try and balance for myself. Mm. I've definitely had days where I do not do it gracefully. I don't do a good job of balancing them. But on the days that I do, it's just this like trail of knowing that the further that I move through this journey, the better it's going to get. The better it's going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Or the more you may understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Katie, I'm going to go out on kind of another tangent here about grief, but talk to me about um, grief as an identity or assuming that grief becomes a part of your identity when something this tragic happens in your world? I think this is a big topic within the grief community. I think there are people who would say that their grief does define them. And there are people who would say that they don't want the only thing about them to be grief. And where I fall with that is a little bit in the middle. Um, 
I have a very strong sense that the person that I have become has grown out of tremendous loss. Hmm. And while I don't recognize grief as the only part of me, I do recognize grief as the part that grew me. Wow. So I think this is something that everyone has to come to on their own. I know that there are people who will go through a stage of their grief rejecting it. They will get to a point where they, where they will say, that's enough. I don't need this to define me. I don't need to talk about it all the time. I don't need it to be in conversations. I don't need to create awareness about it. And I think that that is a very important stage to go through, to recognize that there are other parts of you that are growing through the grief along with you. But I think at the end of the day, that person will probably recognize that their grief is just something that is within them, that doesn't have to define them, but that can be a very amazing part of who they are. Yeah, that you don't necessarily need to break free from. It's not something you need to get away from. It's not the scary thing that you need to run from. It's here with you now. And I think this is ties in really nicely to uh, these dichotomies we talked about with, you know, grief and you can be one. Absolutely. I think it's also a little bit of the breaking away of what people assume grief to be. Mm. A bereaved mother is not somebody who's bent over crying all the time. And it's not somebody who's angry all the time. It's also not somebody who's joyful all the time. It's somebody who carries all of those emotions and has found a way to keep walking forward with the very different weight that each one of those brings into her life. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Katie, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much. Um, I don't fully understand it to the level you have. Um, but as your card says, I will try and I will continue to try and I will re-listen to all of this as I go through it. And as I put it out into the world for our listeners to keep trying to step into that space of, you know, as I'm busy making my lasagna, I'm also really <laughs> remembering to plug in some dates into the calendar and really absolutely the ways that we are all taking on the collective burden of grief versus leaving people alone in their grief to not have a safe space to talk about it. So I thank you so deeply for being here and for having this conversation. I know it's not an easy one to have. Oh, I'm, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. It's absolutely my pleasure. I will be following along like a creepy fangirl as I <laughs> and watching. I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so, especially given our mutual friend, Erin, who I don't even think we talked about her today, but Erin, we love you. We love you deeply and thank you for um, hooking up this connection. I think it yes. will tell a beautiful story. Um, and there are more stories to come from you, of course, which uh, we will all be listening for. And I will make sure that Katie's handles and also uh, the links in order to shop for these grieving gifts is in the show notes as well um, after this episode. Thank you for being here. Thank you. That was just an incredibly, incredibly beautiful conversation. I'm sure that you agree. I'm just, I'm blown away by the level of 
truth and honesty that came through today. And I wanted to end the show, as I always do, with my Secrets Are Out segment, or I do it as often as I can, based on your questions that come in. And this one is one uh, a question I actually got several months ago, and it was not actually related to the podcast at the time. I didn't even have this podcast up and running when I had this question, but I thought it might be relevant today. And the question was something to the effect of, I want to be a speaker. I want to share my story. I want to be a storyteller, but I'm not sure that I've come through the other side yet. My story is not over. I'm still in the pain. I don't know if I even know the ending. Should I wait to share if I'm still going through the story? Uh, These were all the thoughts that were coming up. And here's what I want to say about that. I know Katie touched on this a little bit today as well. Um, But here's my story. I started speaking in 2018, approximately, when I was smack dab in the middle of a brutal depression. And no one would have known it. In fact, most people don't know when I have any of these bouts of depression in my life. I don't announce it. I don't wear a sign. I don't put it on my forehead. Nobody really knows. Um, But if I didn't say it out loud at that time in 2018, you would not have known. If I didn't put a microphone in my hand, you would never have known. And perhaps, I say this without ego, but how tragic that would have been for anyone in my circle at that time to imagine that I actually in that moment had it all together. That the person on the stage, that anyone in the audience was watching me on stage and thinking that person who found the strength to speak and share and talk about this really hard journey was actually all finished with her struggle. How tragic that would have been. This was not a time for me to reach down from some great pedestal of healing, um, and it's never that time, to show you how to get from the bottom to the top. Truly how tragic that would have been. Because first, that's not how life works. Life is not, as Katie said, a linear journey, neither is grief, neither is healing. There is no end to our journey of emotions as human beings. Life is designed for us to have ups and downs, to have hard edges, sharp edges, and soft insides, and sometimes hard insides and soft edges, and sometimes all of that at the same time. But we learn things along the way, usually in our sadness and pain, when we have to dig deeper into our own resiliency and when we are inspired to seek answers and move through it all. That inspiration doesn't have to feel light and airy. It can feel heavy sometimes. The goal is not to be polished and complete. It is to be you as you are. So if it's safe for you when you're in the middle of your story, if it's safe, tell it. If it's healing for you in the middle of your story, tell it. Tell us you're in the middle of it. Start us at, I don't have all the answers yet. And maybe that's exactly what you needed to hear. And if you're not ready to speak and it's not safe for you yet and it doesn't feel healing for you to do that, that's okay too. You will know when the time is right for you as long as you are following your own right time and not some timeline that we have inadvertently made you think is the right time or some pressure to have it all together before you speak any words at all. I still don't have it all together. Trust me, I don't. And I just said I don't broadcast when I have up up and down moments in my life. You will never know if or when I have it all together. Uh, I do my best to be honest about that, but you don't always know. 
I struggle with my mental health on a daily basis, daily. It is a constant chatter in my head to speed up, to slow down, to speak, to stay silent. But here's the thing, my depression, my grief, my trauma, and they are mine. They are not demons of the emotional world. They are my truth. They are the things that brought me to the stage in the first place. They are the things that continue to push me to do better, to think deeper, to be more empathetic, to find my resilience, to re-engage with my personal power, to connect with others, to share, to move story, to move truth. And I don't expect that my life will come to a point where we become perfect. I become perfect and unbruisable. That wouldn't make us, it wouldn't make me human but it also wouldn't help those who are in the middle of their story and question whether their experience is a worthy one or whether they should simply stay silent instead. And if that's not worth sharing, I don't know what is. So I will leave you today with this quote from my guest, Katie Jamison, that I keep in my phone every time I wonder whether I should speak up or whether I should stay silent For all those who feel alone in their pain, this is my higher calling, and it goes like this, from Katie. Show me the truth, she says. Show me the truth. Don't curate yourself to a life that isn't yours. Show me the good, yes. But please, show me the bad. I need to see yours. So I'm not left alone with mine. Thank you for joining this edit of the Unapologetic Stories podcast. If you're ready to share your truth and rewrite your personal life story, connect with me at unapologeticstories.com for all the details on speaker training, storytelling, and strategizing your way through this one big life. If you've enjoyed listening, we would love for you to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listening app or Apple Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Unapologetic Anna for new speaker training start dates. Until next time, stay brave, stay unapologetic, and keep bringing in your truth.